Hey, Corey. Yes, Brett. So I know you are a fan of two things, attending data science conferences. True. And reading books. Also true. There's this awesome conference I heard of going on in a few weeks called Rev2. Have you heard of that before? I have heard of Rev2. It's happening in New York City on May 23rd and 24th, and it's hosted by our friends over at Domino Data Labs. The thing I'm excited about is their keynote speaker is Nobel Prize winning economist and the author of Thinking Fast and Slow, Daniel Kahneman. He's going to be joined by a roster of data scientists and experts in the field from Netflix. Watch it. Nike. Wear it. Slack. Use it. And many more. Visit rev.dominodatalab.com to learn more about the conference and to register. You can also get $100 off your pass by using the code just for Big Data Beard listeners, BDB underscore Rev 100. I'll see you in New York City. Can't wait. <laughs> you are now listening to the Big Data Beard. Hi, everybody. This is Corey Minton with the Big Data Beard. And today we are going to have a conversation with a good old friend of the Big Data Beard podcast, John Rooney, VP of Marketing for Domino Data Lab is joining us. And he's brought along Ozzy Johnson, Deputy, Deputy CTO for Domino Data Lab. John, Ozzy, how you doing today, boys? We're doing great. Uh, thanks so much for having us on. Yeah, doing wonderful. So, John, yep. you're the you're the only person in history that's been on the Big Data Beard podcast three times now. Yeah, it, how's two that more feel? times and you get a jacket? Two more. Uh, no, seriously, it is my. I have uh, two high level professional goals uh, in my career in, in enterprise software. One is to have people stop saying on premise. It's on premises, people, for crying out loud. Language works, and language matters. Um, secondarily, uh, I would like to be. Kind of like the Burt Reynolds to the to to the big da uh, data beard pod, like to the Johnny Carson show in the seventies. Uh huh. Like yeah. like maybe like you're at a show and you're like, oh, someone fell through. Like uh, Rooney's around, just pull him in. <laughs> like just kind of like not to the point of a guest host, but almost a guest host. And if there's a satin jacket involved, I'm down. You got to grow that machine learning mustache though. Just look like Burt. <laughs> I know. The, I, I I'll do it. I'll be like Sharky's machine. It'll be great. <laughs> That's brilliant. Well, so John, we, 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 you know, we know you in a different context. Tell us what you're doing over at Domino Data Labs these days. Yeah. So I, um, you know, sort of shifted gears a little bit. And, um, you know, one of the things that I sort of I've seen over the last, I don't know, decade or so, um, you know, we've all heard the explosion of data pitched to, you know, ad nauseum and all the quotes about, you know, what was it, the Eric Schmidt quote that more data has been created in the last two years than all in the history of mankind and everyone has the, the uh, hockey, sk hockey stick curves. Um, but then there's sort of a question of like, all right, once people figure out the infra, once people figure out how to store and move this data around, then what? Then so what? What's the, what's the, what's the, what are actually the most important and most valuable things that can actually be done with this data? Um, and I think I was kind of looking around and certainly um, the area of data science and um, artificial intelligence and machine learning and, and, and how that's actually applied from a business context seemed to be the most interesting thing. And when, when I um, kind of came upon Domino um, and their like, sort of the company point of view and, and their sort of vision of the future that like, okay, so if you assume 
uh, you know, if you kind of work off the assumption that, yes, there is a there is an explosion of data. We've heard about it for 10, 15 years. We've solved some of the basic storage and some of the basic transport problems. We're now at this last stage of like, okay, w- what are you doing with this stuff? And what are the things that really matter? Um, you know, the, the perspective that the founders have is that, well, you know, the 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 difference is actually the models that are built as being like the artifact or being the manifestation of all this work it's you know it's not just sort of troubleshooting uh operational systems all that's super valuable and security it's actually like how do you um take that data and then build models that actually uh you know, fundamentally transform the way you do your business. So I think that, you know, there are a couple of touchstones companies out there, Netflix being one of them, Amazon being another, that uh, that have sort of proven their ability to to, to really kind of dominate their markets with, with, uh, with model building. But the same way that, you know, software ate the world 20, 25 years ago, I think there's this notion of there's a new sort of uh, uh, species, sort of this, this new kind of digital creature uh, that is the model, um, but it lacks the same you know, organizational rigor lacks the same, you know, understanding and knowledge and, and lacks the same sort of governance and system of record that you would apply to everything from, you know, a customer record to a software application. So it seems like it's a ton of green field, but we're getting there fast. Um, so the attraction for me to Domino was like, come be a part of this, you know, help, help, um, build, uh, build this company in this space that, um, you know, we feel like, you know, we're all we're all headed in that direction. You know, Amazon, the Amazons, the Netflixes, and the sti- the Stitch Fixes, and the you know Rent the Runways. There's there's they're kind of the canaries in the coal mine. But I think we're you know every industry has to get there. Yeah, absolutely. So, Ozzy, you've been around Domino, uh, you know, a bit longer than John. John's joined the team, and and I think Domino made a brilliant hire. I'll just say that. But I think uh, yeah, I'd love to hear Ozzy from your perspective, just at a high level. Like, what is Domino Data Lab? Sure. Yeah. So at the at the highest level, uh, I would say that uh, uh, Domino is a platform uh, for data science. Uh, so uh, this is really bringing uh, sort of all of the uh, familiar concepts uh, and abstractions that you think of when you're thinking of a uh, a PaaS, a platform as a service, uh, and uh, creating something that is uh, specific to the needs of uh, data scientists uh, and really the uh, end-to-end workflow uh, that lets them uh, go from uh, sort of asking a question, uh, refining it, uh, formulating it, um, and turning it into uh, something uh, that has uh, value to their organization uh, or their business, um, and then repeating that over and over again. Very cool. So it it is interesting, though, because I hear you know, a lot of organizations and their offerings, they claim to be a platform. So, so help me understand, like, what, what are the unique challenges, I guess, that, that Domino is, is helping data scientists solve and and helping, frankly, the market deal with that really sets you apart as a, as truly a platform and not just a, a platform poser, if you will. Yeah. So, so I think the thing, the thing that I would hold out, um, as a uh, uh, really distinguishing uh, characteristic of, uh, of a platform um, is uh, about uh, being uh, cohesive. That is, uh, all of the uh, things that you're abstracting uh, or pulling uh, together uh, are pulled together uh, in a way that, that makes sense. 
um, and uh, that uh, whatever you are focused on uh, in terms of, of your users, your primary uh, consumers, um, you are uh, uh, removing or minimizing uh, concerns uh, outside of their best and highest purpose. Um, uh, when I think of platforms, uh, certainly the example that I go to immediately, and I imagine uh, uh, most folks do, uh, would be something like uh, Heroku. You know, it was great uh, for uh, allowing uh, app developers uh, to uh, rapidly uh, iterate and uh, then basically push. They're really only concerned uh, with their code. Uh, they're not concerned um, really even with uh, other elements of infrastructure, uh, data connections beyond understanding what they are, uh, sort of taking away all of the noise uh, and letting folks work uh, most efficiently. Um, and with Domino, uh, we are doing that for data scientists. So uh, when it comes to uh, scaling, uh, managing uh, life cycle, uh, all of those things are uh, taken care of. Uh, and the work which is done uh, on the platform, uh, you know, we do our best to apply uh, sane defaults to. Uh, so that is uh, uh, implicitly uh, versioning things, picking up uh, uh, your uh, results, uh, your changes uh, to your data, changes uh, to your code, um, and committing all of those things uh, in a way that is uh, version controlled in support of uh, reproducibility. Interesting. So you mentioned there that it's a, it, it, there are some parallels in terms of platforms to development activities we've known in the past, software development, right? But it's, you know, when we talk with, you know, other data science and data science teams, model development is a fundamentally different process than software development, right? I mean, help me understand or help the listeners really understand, like, how is model development so different than software development processes we've known in the past? Sure. Yeah. The the thing that uh, that I would uh, consider most most uh, critical here, or the, the really the biggest difference, um, is that with traditional uh, software development, you really have uh, uh, different notions of uh, of correctness. Right. That there is uh, there is some particular uh, behavior, uh, uh, some some output uh, that you can uh, define and are working toward that you can test uh, against. You're you're testing uh, in in some sense uh, when you're building uh, models, uh, but uh, your your definition of uh, correctness uh, is more uh, uh, case by case uh, and really it's a it's a it's a gradient um, so uh, it really I think it really does uh, want for um, a different set of capabilities um, and one of those that uh, we we speak to most directly there um, is that there's a concern uh, about uh, not just your code, uh, but your uh, data and your results uh, as well. Yeah, I think w another way to think about this, and this is something, uh, you know, because there's something so deterministic about building software, uh, there's a, you know, for, for, you know, despite all of the progress of agile and continuous deployment and continuous iteration, there's, there's still a, a notion, a bit of a notion of sort of set it and forget it once you get the functionality right. Uh, and, and, I, and I use this evidence as much as we like to all be on the bleeding edge, like, do you know how much COBOL is still out there in the world? Um, you know, if you think about like how much, and, I, and I've, you know, it's, I'm not a young man, but, you know, 
early in my career, I remember working on mainframes that at the time were ancient. Um, and yet, uh, if you think about in financial services, in oil and gas, in uh, in, in retail, and in, in some of these major industries, a lot of this sort of batch processing is still done on mainframes with code that was written uh, by people that have long, long since retired. And I think that, you know, the difference from a model, you know, the model standpoint, as, as Ozzy spoke to is, you know, there's no, there's no static notion that, that, that uh, the, the fundamental fibers of a model are going to be changed by the data that flows through it. So whether that is, um, uh, you know, while you're training or while the model's sitting in production. So like drift is real and you have to build that into it. Um, and I think that is, you know, that's one really important factor. Um, I, I, you know, we, we all think about, um, uh, again, going back to sort of like the Netflix uh, or the, the, the Amazon uh, recommendation models. None of those are static. You know, there's, there, you know, I can't imagine there's much code that was written five, ten years ago uh, uh, with either of those services that are, that are still servicing in production. There's a, there's a constant iteration because of the nature of, you know, the, 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 the science aspect of it. And I think that that's one fundamental difference. You know, I, I can't imagine there's a COBOL equivalent, but... <laughs> Nice. So when when Domino Data Labs thinks about solving this problem with the platform, when when we're doing our research, it looks like you really solve it in a variety of ways. Like there's some critical kind of pillars yeah. of functionality of Domino Data Lab. Would you mind like kind of walking us through kind of those key pillars of functionality that really comprise the Domino Data Lab platform? Sure. Yeah. Um, so the uh, so the way I, th I think of this um, would be in really three uh, three or four, um, and I tend to think of this uh, a, a bit like uh, a narrative, um, which is uh, I think is best described um, in terms of uh, building a data science practice uh, or a team, um, and uh, where this starts uh, is even with uh, really a team of uh, one uh, or two. Uh, again, uh, you you. You want your data scientist uh, working on uh, data science. So as soon as the amount of data uh, or the uh, complexity of a model uh, moves beyond uh, what can be done on a laptop, uh, you now have a need for uh, scale. Um, you certainly, uh, there, there are folks that have wide-ranging skills, but if your data scientists are uh, working on uh, DevOps uh, tasks, if they're worried about instance uh, life cycles in some provider, uh, they're, they're likely not working to their highest purpose. So uh, one of the first things that we address there uh, is uh, scale. I would call it uh, uh, self-service uh, with constraints um, to enable data scientists to do what they need to do, uh, but still offer uh, visibility uh, and control uh, to uh, the the folks whose primary job is managing infrastructure. Ideally, uh, you know, we make the world uh, easier uh, for uh, both sides of that, um, and that's an aligned interest. Uh, that's great. Um, the uh, second uh, is about uh, collaboration uh, and really reproducibility. Uh, so when a team starts to grow uh, beyond the number of people that can really uh, uh, sit in a room uh, and and have a, uh, an easy conversation, um, you need a way to uh, preserve uh, the work that's done uh, and make it available uh, to be used as uh, uh, new uh, members come on or retain 
uh, uh, when they go. Uh, so uh, our value there uh, is again about uh, versioning uh, everything that goes uh, through the system. Uh, again, in terms of uh, code, data, uh, results, uh, making that searchable, um, and uh, really uh, positioning ourselves as a as a system of record uh, for uh, what uh, work has been done, uh, making it discoverable for use in new work. Uh, so now moving forward, we've uh, addressed really two things. Um, there is scale, uh, there is uh, collaboration. That's great, uh, but is it doing the right thing? Is it serving uh, a business value? Are things trending uh, the right way? Uh, so this is about uh, visibility, uh, being able to see at a high level uh, what uh, data scientists individually or even in larger organizations, whole teams, uh, what they're doing. Is it uh, effective? Um, is it efficient? Uh, all of those things and presenting that uh, for folks uh, who may not uh, be in these processes uh, every day. Um, so these uh, are our uh, features in what we call our control center uh, to provide uh, uh, visibility for those uh, business owners. And then finally say uh, everything is going well, uh, things are trending uh, the, the right way, um, ultimately to make uh, the work that's done uh, actionable to start realizing that value, uh, you need a path to uh, production. Um, and this is uh, really the fourth piece uh, that we provide. So uh, there's a direct path to take your models, uh, publish them uh, to a resilient, uh, scalable infrastructure, uh, to wrap them up uh, as uh, apps, uh, and to make them uh, consumable by even uh, really sort of uh, uh, less technical users uh, with uh, launchers, uh, which is uh, sort of a, a minimal uh, uh, app style presentation. So uh, those are really the four that, that I'd highlight. It's about scale, collaboration, uh, reproducibility, uh, visibility, and finally production. And, and then just to add on that, on the scale side, I think the, the thing that, that we saw um, that the as organizations or, or companies like look to become model-driven, the the problem isn't necessarily one person in one notebook solving one problem to write a, a better algorithm. It's how do you coordinate, you know, hundreds or sometimes thousands of these sort of out in the wild at any given place. So I think that the notion is, you know, how you, you think about the number of projects and the number of team members working on those projects and the number of models and output that, that, that those projects would output. It's the coordination, it's the care and feeding, it's the it's the the governance over those things at scale. And then secondarily, from an openness standpoint, uh, when, when we also realized that um, you know one adjacency I think to software development and certainly um, you know disciplines like like the DevOps movement is that it is it's a heterogeneous toolkit. Uh, in terms of where are people writing their code? Where are people actually building their models? So, you know, you have uh, Python and R with RStudio and, 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 uh, and Jupyter Notebooks. You have uh, sort of the more auto ML uh, solutions like Data Robot. And then you have, there's still tons of SaaS out there in the world. There, you know, SaaS is still has, has a huge uh, install base and has, has a, a huge usership out there in enterprises. And we want to make sure that Domino can work and integrate all those tools no matter where they sit. Uh, and again, that helps us, that helps organizations who are, who are trying to build models, have different teams solving different problems in different ways, have one sort of wrapper around that. So that's a, just kind of an, another organizing principle that, uh, you know, dominoes that, that's sort of injected into how we do things. 
Yeah, I dig that. I, I like the I like the narrative from both of you. I wanted to unpack a little bit because some of the things I think you, you your team is doing are are quite you know really interesting when you start to peel back the onion, like on the open infrastructure side, right? There's you guys are doing some pretty interesting stuff there on you you know, making data ubiquitously accessible and you know, making it simpler for deployment as you outlined, Ozzy. So help me understand, like, it, it looks like there's a, this containerization kind of trend and this ability for data access to be abstracted a little bit. Help me understand how, how Domino is delivering that more flexible deployment and that data abstraction layer. Sure. Yeah. So, um, so really, uh, think of this in a, in a couple of, uh, different levels. Um, uh, in terms of, uh, deployment, uh, one thing that is, uh, fairly unique about us, uh, is that, uh, we basically, uh, go, uh, where you are. Uh, so, uh, this is, uh, on premises. Uh, this is, uh, in the cloud in a managed, uh, fashion. Um, this is, uh, in the cloud in a private fashion. Um, we, uh, currently have, uh, loads of, uh, customers that run in, uh, AWS, uh, many that are on-prem uh, on uh, VMs or bare metal or uh, combinations of uh, both um, and in the uh, near future uh, we'll be supporting uh, Azure uh, in a first-class uh, way as well um, so uh, for uh, uh, deployment, I would say it's really about uh, flexibility and always um, doing a thing that, that I refer to as seeking a higher abstraction. Um, so uh, containers uh, offered that uh, early on uh, when Domino was just getting started. It was also when uh, Docker was just getting started and there was a real um, uh, sort of uh, advantage there. Uh, Domino was using Docker very early uh, in 2013 um, and and uh, now uh, we uh, heavily use uh, Kubernetes uh, and have been uh, using it in some fashion uh, going back uh, over two years. So uh, we're sort of always uh, looking uh, for the, the, the next abstraction, the next move uh, to really run ourselves uh, with the same principle uh, that we're trying to offer to uh, data scientists, which is you know our core competence is uh, uh, creating a data science platform. Uh, it uh, and allowing uh, data science work to be done, not uh, creating uh, orchestrators uh, or um, you know infrastructure management. Uh, those things are are uh, a means to an end. So you, you talked earlier about uh, being a system of record for reproducibility. Why is this such a critical thing, and why is it also such a you know a hard thing as well? Yeah, so so uh, I would hold that uh, about being the the system of record um, is really that uh, every everything uh, that that you are doing with a particular practice, whether uh, say this is um, uh, using Salesforce uh, for uh, relationship uh, uh, management, um, uh, having having really that single uh, uh, canonical uh, source uh, for your entire uh, history to be able to uh, reference all of your accounts, your work, uh, or in our case, uh, your uh, models, uh, data sources, uh, your uh, uh, data scientists uh, themselves uh, against each other, uh, and 
uh, to be able to uh, move uh, quickly and uh, confidently uh, through those uh, things over time, um, uh, we see as just really being um, uh, essential uh, to keep your, your practice and the value you're getting from data science and ultimately uh, uh, modeling uh, moving forward. Um, so uh, again, this was a, a bit of what I spoke to um, with kind of the pillars of, of value here is that, uh, you know, you can create a model that is uh, performs great uh, today, uh, but what do you do uh, when it starts to uh, diverge? Uh, essentially, what happened? If you could trace it back, um, uh, what, uh, what do you do? Uh, when did that happen? Uh, uh, what were the changes? Uh, who was working on it? What were all of these influences? Influencing uh, variables, and by uh, sort of ensuring that uh, everything uh, is uh, recorded, uh, you can do that. Um, you can understand uh, not just uh, what you are doing, but uh, how you got there, uh, as well as what changed and why. Yeah, it's so reproducibility is one thing that sounds kind of interesting, but it actually sounds kind of interesting to me in the sense of there's more and more governance and regulation coming, you know, down the pipe as, or as, as, as governments and can, you know, concerned bodies start to think about how are these models being used to, uh, you know, censor people to, uh, position products, to position things. There's a lot of concern. How does this reproducibility thing help address that concern around, you know, explainability and, and even maybe some of the things you're doing around, you know, data security, because data scientists are playing with some pretty sensitive stuff. Help me understand what Domino Data Lab is doing to help ensure that, you know, as these governance things, you know, governance situations and vectors change, how is Domino Data Lab preparing its users uh, to answer those questions that haven't been asked yet? Yeah, there's actually two ways to think about it, because there's sort of an inside out and an outside in. The inside out, which um, it was, you know, it's probably, uh, you know, maybe the more immediate need is how do you share information? How do you collaborate? How do you onboard? How do you, um, you know, so the, the other thing that sort of just a, a basic factor in market is um, there are, you know, clearly aren't enough data science, scientists to meet the demand of, of organizations that are trying to hire them. But every university is cranking out another master's student every day. So then how do you bring people into the fold and, and, and enable them to get up to speed quickly and be effective? So there's just a pure collaboration and learning and productivity aspect to having that re reproducibility. Also, you, you know, people, data scientists are well compensated, highly in demand folks, they move around. Um, so how do you ensure that, that, that the, all the thinking, all the, all the intelligence, all the IP doesn't leave with them. But from an outside in standpoint, uh, Corey, to your point, like there is a lot of stuff there. There is, there is the notion of, um, being able to account for not just what the code in the model says, but what was the data that trained it? And, and can you version the data just as easily and readily as you could version the code? And then what about access control for that? Who, you know, you may want to provide access to a, some, some people to be able to write the code, but maybe the, the data that's being, that's training the data is very sensitive. Or sorry, the, 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 the data that's training the model is very sensitive. So that's kind of a nuance uh, that's important that, that to your, to your point, yeah, as, as this becomes more ubiquitous, there's, there's clearly going to be more oversight. 
Um, a lot of our uh, customers are in pretty regulated industries. We have we have a, a big set of customers in financial services based on kind of the history of the company and where we came from. And then certainly we're, we have, we're having an increasingly number, uh, number of customers in life sciences and health technology and pharmaceuticals. So both industries that are used to, to, to having to deal with oversight. The, the, the ability to provide visibility into those types of uh, compliance is really important. Yeah, and I would say just to uh, really add on to uh, John's uh, point there, a thing that I'd highlight is uh, visibility. Uh, that's really uh, where you have to start. Um, uh, many of these uh, organizations, uh, the way that uh, data science or things that look like data science uh, may be done today um, is still on uh, workstations uh, that sit under desks or they're on laptops. Uh, so uh, having a uh, platform uh, to consume uh, all of that work uh, without actually making it harder to do that work uh, in a way that's uh, searchable, uh, visible, um, you know, is that uh, system of record uh, is the first uh, step uh, uh, to uh, doing that. You, you have to start with uh, visibility uh, before you can uh, really even put shape uh, to a problem of uh, uh, prevention or control. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one of the things that I, I find, you know, interesting is, you know, while yes, you do, you guys are clearly a very cool platform. You've recognized something that I think many of us, you know, kind of adhere to, which is, Anybody that's going to be successful with a data science and become, you know, data science practice becoming a model driven organization, it's, it's not like a one, there's not like a one vendor or one platform or one software. It is an ecosystem play. So when I, when I look at Domino Data Labs, it, you guys must have a pretty solid partnering strategy because I noticed that you can obviously help deploy some of these you know, open source tools. Uh, and, you know, as the data scientist team changes what they want to use, you can do that. But I also noticed there's some like pretty big proprietary tools on there. So help me understand, like, what is the partnering strategy for Domino Data Lab? And why is it so critical as part of your platform as that abstraction layer? Yeah, I mean, I think we have a principle of openness and, and understanding that, um, you know, the same way that uh, in software development and, and application standpoint, the in many cases, you know, developers get to pick their tools. It's been a long time since I've walked into uh, an organization. Remember when there used to be .NET shops or Java shops and everything was .NET and was sort of this top-down thing and like, you don't see that as much anymore. You, you know, you have much more heterogeneous toolkits. You have still plenty of Java, still plenty of .NET and you have all the, the dynamic languages. And I think it's the same dynamic from a, uh, from a data science standpoint. And as you think about kind of the continuum of roles, like there are people that uh, are sort of, you know, kind of grew up or well-suited in the SaaS world, um, in the MATLAB world, um, that may just, you know, have a different function um, or uh, have a slightly different pedigree than, than the folks that, that, that are coming up now, um, you know, building stuff on Python or building stuff on R. And I think you realize, you know, it, it, it's part of the onus is on us in, in being a, a, a platform across data science to be able to support all those things. And the same thing on the infrastructure side. So whether or not you're, again, you're running on bare metal, you're, you're kind of working off data sitting in Hadoop or a Spark cluster or in blob storage or in a relational database. I think, uh, Ozzy can, you know, I think the, the, the not, I think I, and I've heard you guys talk about this before with, with other guests as well. Like, Let's not forget about medium data. There's plenty of medium data. There's plenty of great data science done off flat files. I know it's uh, it's it's not as uh, I don't know if there's a medium data beard podcast 
maybe like a medium data beard goatee podcast, but like yeah, medium, medium data goatee. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like, it's, we're going to register that with GoDaddy right now. You guys need to syndicate. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that becomes a, you know, that becomes an onus on us to make sure that all, all of those, um, those scenarios are covered where whatever tooling you're using, whatever data source you're using, wherever you're getting your compute from, whether that is uh, a VM running in a public cloud, uh, VM uh, running in house, uh, it's, it, you know, obviously, Ozzy talked about uh, our investment in container and container orchestration. Um, you know, it's, I, I just think that anyone, like beginning in, in 2019, beginning in, in any sort of narrow proprietary stance just feels like the wrong move. Yeah, the uh, thing that I'd, that I'd add to that, um, when uh, sort of the value of, of openness, of uh, being unopinionated uh, about uh, uh, these things, about uh, languages, uh, about techniques, um, I think is a uh, true uh, value uh, for us. Um, it's, it's easy to sort of even think of a, a problem like this as, oh, it's open. You can use uh, uh, Python or you can use R or maybe you can use uh, SAS. Actually, it's um, uh, far more than that. It's all of those things. It's also, uh, if you want to run uh, Julia, uh, we have customers uh, who uh, have um, uh, internal uh, tools that were written in uh, C two decades ago. Uh, they uh, spent two days uh, basically uh, updating them so they could compile uh, and uh, run within a Domino container. Uh, now they are uh, getting new value uh, out of something that they thought they'd uh, uh, have to uh, abandon uh, and and move on from with all of the same benefits uh, that we offer um, to those uh, sort of more modern uh, techniques and, and languages. So uh, that openness uh, and that being really uh, unopinionated uh, about how people want to work, uh, but being strongly opinionated about uh, where uh, they work uh, and offering uh, real advantages uh, to that, um, I think is a, is a very uh, strong uh, value for us. Yeah, for sure. I, so I'm I'm curious, like if, if somebody you know listen to this show, they you know they work for a small you know business or large commercial enterprise or a web scaler, like whoever. What are the things that like when you go talk with organizations that are getting challenged with model development, model putting models in production, managing that process? What what do those organizations look like that that really benefit most rapidly from Domino Data Lab? Sure. Um, so I'd say the the uh, a great case uh, for this uh, would be um, a a large uh, organization. Um, you know the the uh, we'd call them uh, uh, enterprises uh, where uh, there are people uh, doing uh, data science. Uh, maybe they don't uh, even call themselves uh, that. They might be uh, statisticians, biostatisticians, um, and uh, they. Uh, have um I say they have uh, they know they know what they're doing uh, when it comes to their own uh, processes, their own code, uh, their own uh, models. Uh, but uh, say the the friction uh, to do it uh, at uh, the scale uh, that would uh, accelerate them, uh, or uh, to do it uh, uh, collaboratively, uh, because they are parts of a very large uh, uh, organizations, sometimes multinationals. Uh, uh, 
just really isn't there. Uh, so by providing uh, this uh, single uh, place, uh, which uh, minimizes uh, friction, uh, allows uh, really the best, fastest uh, access uh, to the data they need, uh, to the machines, the resources, the storage, um, all of these things, uh, that is where uh, uh, we see uh, really value uh, realized uh, uh, fastest. Um, uh, a thing that I hold up is really a, a great example of this. Uh, we had a particular customer uh, that was already like fairly uh, advanced, I would say, for the time in their use of uh, cloud services, uh, but they were baking their analytic uh, environments into uh, AMIs, and this was really an expensive uh, process. Once a quarter or so, uh, they would essentially shut down for a day, uh, do a new rev of uh, this uh, AMI, uh, roll it out, make that uh, sort of the gold uh, copy. Um, uh, what they did when moving to Domino uh, was start managing uh, these same environments uh, as Domino compute environments, uh, which are ultimately uh, uh, containers uh, that bake in a bunch of um, uh, requirements, libraries, uh, sometimes uh, data, uh, and now they can do this uh, absolutely continuously, uh, and they can effortlessly uh, refer to or use uh, previous uh, versions as well. So, uh, sort of total uh, game changer uh, in their process, flexibility, um, and applicability to uh, uh, the folks who are doing uh, this sort of work in the org. I'd be curious to hear any other, like, are there any like public references, people that have had just like crazy cool experiences where they've achieved just a data science outcome that they just weren't able to achieve until they adopted Domino Data Lab? Yeah, I think there are two examples I like to use because they're, uh, the scale is, is so different. So um, you have uh, Bayer on the one hand, and, and they have 500 data scientists uh, in their organization. And, uh, you know, obviously it's a, it's a large, it's a large company, but one of the, one of the big things that they're working on is, is working with farmers to help, um, increase crop yield, right? So w what can they do in terms of coordinating, uh, research, uh, sharing data across the world from various teams? Um, and they were able to, and we have, uh, you know, we have, we have stuff published with them that, you know, they were able to, our, our platform was, was, uh, able to help them, uh, collaborate, increase their productivity, uh, increase their sort of the, the the turns through the cycle, so they could you know more vastly improve um, the work they were doing because they have a, a really natural constraint, uh, a, a literally natural constraint in the work they're doing because you only get one planting season, right? So you think about all the acceleration of data, and people can talk about Moore's law all you want, but um, you know Mother Nature is Mother Nature. So how do you uh, essentially trim out all the other fat in the process? Um, and create efficiencies and, and create sharing so that they can, you know, reach their their ultimate goal and ultimate mission. Again, it's not a supporting thing. It's not an operational thing. It's tied to uh, the fundamental uh, sort of, uh, you know, the fundamental mission of the organization, which is, hey, you know, we, we need to help farmers increase their crop yields so there's more food. So that, that so I think the bear example is a good one. Uh, kind of on the flip side of that, and you, you again, you think of health sciences, you think of uh, pharmaceuticals as 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 being historically uh, research driven and having tons of R and D and having tons of scientists. But I think an interesting contrast, which I think is a little bit more of an indication of kind of where markets are going to go, is um, a company out of Cleveland called Dealer Tire, and they're uh, they've been around a hundred years. 
Uh, they originally, uh, you know, sold tires like you know for for cars, and now they're a value added value added distributor for um, for car dealerships. And their mission is, you know, how do you get people to come back to the dealer to buy kind of you know light parts and some services? So they build affinity, so they come back and they buy a new car from that same dealer. So it's a it's a it's a customer loyalty, and it's a you know essentially increasing basket size, like a classic um, you know kind of marketing and sales business metric. And they've been doing that type of work um, uh, in you know various ways with you know certain amount of data. The data has been sitting there for a while, but they weren't able to pull the team together to collaborate on the work, to, to provide the governance, to pro provide the oversight. And it's only five data scientists, but they were able to do it in such a way to get double digit uh, increases in both revenue and in customer loyalty. Again, it's something that's not an adjacent uh, activity. It's not a nice to have. It's not, you know, you know, getting insights out of uh, data sitting in cold storage. It's doing your, you know, it's, it's, you know, doing the job of the business. It's, you know, making the donuts, to, so to say. So I think those are two customer examples uh, that I like to see just because the scale is so different. And the fact that like, you know, you don't associate uh, the dealer, dealer tires of the world of being on the cutting edge of data science, but that, I think that's where the market's going to go. I think you're either going to be model driven or you're going to be in a lot of trouble. No, I think that that is absolutely true. Being model driven is a true differentiator. And I think the Domino Data Labs, from what I've heard from you gentlemen today and, and what I've, you know, when I've done my research looking into this platform, it is quite stunning that you've built this, this platform that does solve a lot of the challenges associated with this unique process that in development for model development that data scientists are pursuing that is different than the, the traditional development activities and dealing with the realities of this changing infrastructure, hybrid cloud world of the future with changing regulatory uh, environments that we're going to fight through over the years ahead with a platform that really seems to give your your customers quite a, a bit of flexibility, collaboration, and really time to value that I think is unique. So it sounds very cool. I encourage our listeners to, uh, to check out some more information about Domino Data Labs. I'm curious, uh, John and Ozzy, are you guys going to be out talking with the masses at any of the uh, the upcoming uh, AI or big data conferences around the world? Yeah, I mean, we're, we have a small and scrappy team. Uh, we're growing really fast, though. Um, so we're not able to be everywhere we want to be, but we're going to be at the SAS Global Forum um, in, uh, I guess that's a couple weeks in Dallas, Texas. Um, and then um, I think I'm going to be up in Seattle for Microsoft Build, grab myself some teriyaki, um, and uh, see some of the Microsoft folks up there. Nice. And then uh, most importantly, at least for us, and uh, we're about 45 days out or so, is uh, there's a conference that we sponsor. Uh, it's not a vendor conference. It's not all about Domino all the time, uh, although that you know maybe, maybe there's a time and place for that at some point. Uh, but really, it, it's a conference called Rev. And it is all about the data science leader. Um, there's a ton of shows out there, and, and they're great uh, about sort of data science practitioners and how to build a better model, and it's you know sort of how to how to get people into the practice. Um, but then there is again, as we talked about before, the kind of the practice of scale, and that's really the 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 onus behind uh, Rev. So it'll be our second year. It's in New York City on the 23rd and 24th of. May, so it's the Thursday and Friday before uh, Memorial Day weekend. We have Daniel Kahneman in the keynote. We have uh, data science and data engineering leaders from Netflix and Nike and Slack and Stitch Fix and Lloyd's. And, um, you know, we actually have uh, 
uh, a ton of cool breakout sessions on everything from integrating Elasticsearch into into analytics work, workflows to um, we actually have uh, uh, Randy Ludwig, who's a data scientist at Dell, is going to talk about building federated data at scale. Um, so it's you know again the notion is not necessarily how to have one data scientist you know build a better mousetrap. We, we know that's really important, but I think I think we we saw sort of a gap out there of building the practice because if you think about this as an organizational uh, um, discipline, how do you think about doing this when you have dozens and then eventually hundreds of folks uh, doing this kind of work? Yep. And while I, I certainly won't be making um, uh, quite the same uh, uh, conference uh, track as John, uh, I will be at uh, Rev and um, I'll be manning uh, essentially um, an ask me anything uh, type uh, panel. So anyone who wants to uh, really uh, talk about anything data science, uh, infrastructure, uh, process, essentially all of the things uh, that we uh, talked about today. Um, I've uh, now uh, seen how this is done in uh, hundreds of uh, companies around the world uh, and would love uh, to talk to you. That's awesome. Well, speaking of Ask Me Anything sessions. We've learned a lot from our guests about big data but now it's time to get a bit personal. In a segment we like to call Rapid Fire. So Ozzy, I'm going to let you go first. Ozzy, what is the last great book that you read that you would recommend to our audience? Oh, great question. Um, I finally read uh, The Peripheral by William Gibson, a favorite author uh, of mine. Um, I picked up this book as soon as it uh, came out, uh, got uh, it actually signed uh, by him at Politics and Prose in DC uh, before I moved out here, finally read it, uh, enjoyed it uh, immensely, and would uh, recommend it to uh, anyone with uh, uh, an interest in uh, cyberpunk, sci-fi, um, and uh, in particular, disturbingly uh, prescient um, near future uh, uh, fantasy or dystopia, depending on how you look at it. Well, that sounds ridiculously good. John, my voracious reading friend, what's, uh, what's on your reading list lately that you thought was awesome? Um, so yeah, I, I I'm going to go with, um, they, there was a collection of early man thing comic books, uh, by the great writer, Steve Gerber, Steve Gerber is sort of this lost Marvel writer. He, he did some stuff for DC. He's probably most famous or infamous for creating Howard the duck. But uh, it was uh, <laughs> is it infamous. Yeah, well, it's not his fault. You have to, you know, like I, not to pile on George Lucas. He's had a tough twenty five years. But Howard the Duck, uh -huh. you can't you can't pin that on Steve Gerber. But Steve Gerber was this writer who did a lot of really weird, great uh, comic books uh, for Marvel in the seventies. He did this great run uh, on on the Defenders. That's kind of legendary. He did this great run of Journey into Fear with Morbius, Living Vampire, which is an all time favorite of me. But there's a collection that's been out for a while. Anyway, I. I I just picked it up and it's basically the early man thing stuff. It's the seventies. It's crazy. It's, it, you know, there are aliens, there's other worlds, there is the occult, um, there's hillbillies. It's everything you could ever want. It's fantastic. 
Oh, sounds magical. So, John, if uh, if you were to have a song play as you're walking on stage to present at your next big conference, what would that song be? Uh, I, it's my answer I use for all the stuff. It's Super Bad by James Brown. Um, and that was the version of the JBs with uh, Bootsy Collins and Catfish Collins in the band. Uh, they weren't very long. Uh, they, they weren't together very long, but the set of recordings they made, um, including Super Bad, are just, you know, it's the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. Man, love it. Ozzy, what about you? What's your walk-on song? Hmm. Um, I would say this would be Chuck Brown, uh, It's a Beautiful Life, uh, being uh, the the rare native Washingtonian. Uh, I have to go to Chuck. Uh, it's a great song, great message, uh, and it is legitimately true. I get to uh, do a wonderful uh, job here doing interesting things uh, in a very cool industry. So yeah, that'd be it. Got to go with Chuck. I love that outlook. That makes me happy. So Ozzy, what piece of technology is currently making your life worse? Oh, wow. Uh, that is that is tough. Um, so uh, I consider most uh, social media to be like a box of horrors uh, uh, beamed directly uh, into my hand uh, each day. Uh, so that's 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 pretty terrible. Uh, I'm not a fan of the scooters here in San Francisco. Um, I don't know. Those things are terrible, simultaneously fun, but they're awful to deal with. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, um, I could, I could go on way too long. So I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna uh, hold it to those two. So social media and Lime Scooters, dead to him. <laughs> John, what about you? What tech's making your life work? Uh, well, last time, I'm going to pick on our friends at Apple again. Last time, I talked about how uh, with the iPhones, they they went away from the one-eighth uh, inch audio jack. So you have to do the uh-huh. weird tail, and that's horrible. And then I even forgot about the like the weird Apple earbuds. Like, you know, uh, that uh, luckily, I don't care. I'll wear the, the big hamburger uh, headphones for the rest of my life. But the fact that other people have them in, and you don't know who they're talking to, uh, and it's just, it's dystopia. It's dystopia. (laughs) So I worked my first job out of college. I worked in this, uh, I worked for this manufacturing company and they had us do a rotation where I had to go to like the customer service call center and work for like a month. And, uh, the manager would walk around and he always had on one of these old school Bluetooth headsets where it was like one ear had the hamburger thing with the boom mic. And, but he had it on all the time. So you never really knew if you could talk to him. So you'd walk by his desk and he would just, you would be talking to him and he would just look at you with these just glaring eyes and then just slowly point to his ear just to make sure you knew he was on the phone. So I agree. Bluetooth headphones make everybody look awkward in public. All right, John, what is your biggest personal money pit right now? Well, uh, for the third time in a row, I still live in San Francisco. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you haven't you haven't got out bro you gotta get out somewhere. no yeah so uh i i will uh i'm tripling down on the fact that for some reason i still live in san francisco so all the things yes all the things ozzy what about you buddy yeah hmm um uh it must be a uh, kind of boring uh person this is hard for me to answer um exercise uh equipment i have a, a full three inch rack on my patio uh i want to get a monolift uh attachment to it so yeah that's my that's my fun stuff um uh bars plates uh racks all those things dig it ozzy are you uh, are you binging on any shows right now if you'd uh, and if so one that's great that you'd recommend 
Yeah, no, um, I don't. I don't think I. I don't think I have a show uh, right now. Um, uh, really, just dovetailing uh, with uh, what I apparently spend my money on. Uh, my closest thing to a show uh, is the YouTube channel of uh, Martins Lisi's, who was uh, uh, the uh, second place at the Arnold Strongman Classic uh, this year. So I look for his new content daily. Nice. I'm a big fan of Thor. Thor Bjornsson. Yeah, abs- <laughs> absolutely. I have his. Uh, I have his uh, t-shirt. Um, oh, big yeah. fan Thor's as well. Power. Yeah, I dig it. How about you, John? What what show have you been been cruising through? Uh, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna piggyback off Ozzy, and maybe this is the uh, um, sign of, of me having some sort of uh, nervous breakdown. But I, on YouTube as well, there's this guy by the name of David Bull, who's a Canadian who lives in Japan, who does traditional Japanese woodcutting, and uh, it's it's unbelievably fascinating. I am not a Japanese woodcutter, so he'll do like the woodcut prints. Um, and I would be, I mean, I guess I'm not that ashamed. I'm saying it on a podcast. I have watched countless hours of that while I'm doing other things. And um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it could be a cry for help or it could be the dimension to a new world. <laughs> Yeah, so we we got to hang out more yeah. because if you have not been over to uh, Hita Tool uh, in Berkeley, uh, we need to go. It is uh, uh, all uh, Japanese woodworking uh, tools, um, and it's it's awesome and unique in my experience. So yeah, good stuff. The fact that you guys connected on that niche of a topic tells me interesting things about domino day yeah. lab and the city of san francisco today yeah pretty much <laughs> so ozzy yeah so ozzy are you going uh, anywhere uh, interesting for work or travel soon um let me see uh not not soon uh but uh again one of the nice things uh, here with uh domino i got to go to uh france uh just about a year ago for a domino customer and this was my very first time uh in europe uh and it was amazing uh, i wish i had traveled uh sooner um just wonderful Good for you. Welcome to the uh, to the most expensive hobby on the planet, global travel. It's super fun. John, how about you? What interesting place are you going soon? Uh, well, I'm going to the great city, of course, uh, the great city of New York um, in May. Um, you know, I like to lovingly refer to New York as the other Philadelphia. Um, <laughs> But but do they have a do they have a gritty? They, do, they don't have a gritty. Oh man! Please put a picture of gritty on the on the show page. Um, <laughs> Guaranteed. Uh, oh, it's the best. <laughs> your gritty your gritty retweets. Oh man! Absolutely kill me. It is. I'm telling you, I uh, I represent. I go hard for for gritty. So I'm uh, going to New York oh. for two reasons. One, it has the best book store in, in America in the Strand. And here's a little uh, tip for folks going to the Strand: go upstairs. And if you're like, what's a cool kind of hip thing to have that no one else has that you really enjoy they sell old um art auction like sotheby auction um uh what do you call it a sotheby auction uh like catalogs for just a couple of bucks and they're shockingly fascinating says the guy who watches uh japanese woodcutting videos online so that you know that's my my recommendation for the strand and then of course rev so um again rev is coming up in may um, the, the agenda is full currently, but folks who want to showcase if they're doing cool stuff in data science, we're doing an old school poster session and they can apply uh, online on the Rev website, which will be, I'm sure, in the links. Um, and then we also have a special discount for all the listeners of the Big Data Beard. So if you put in BDB underscore Rev 100, get $100 off of the registration. 
Uh, and then finally, if you want to go, uh, you want if you want to go with a group, teams of four plus who register get fifty um, percent off. So we, you know, come on out. It's going to be fun, and then we can all go to the Strand and we can look through old art auction catalogs. Man, I could not look forward to that trip more. Well, John and Ozzy, thank you so much for joining us on The Big Data Beard. It has been awesome to hear what you guys are delivering to your customers through Domino Data Lab's incredible data, data science platform. Thanks for being on, gentlemen. Thanks so much for having us. Thanks for listening to The Big Data Beard Podcast. The music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. Check him out on iTunes or Spotify.